bow with me in prayer. Father, thank you again for the joy of singing this morning Psalm 128 to the tune of that great hymn, Come Thou Fount. And we pray now those words Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune our hearts to sing your grace. Our hearts may naturally be tuned to sing works, but we pray, tune our hearts to sing grace, your grace. Come, come thou fount of every blessing. We pray again as we prayed at the beginning. Give us Jesus. Help us even now in these moments, O Lord. Through the Holy Spirit we pray, amen. I want to speak to you this morning, and the title is Practical Religion. Practical Religion. Now, if you are at all familiar with Christianity... If you have some familiarity with the Bible, if you have neither of those, that's perfectly okay. We're very glad you're here. If you have some familiarity with Christianity, if you have some familiarity with the Bible, when you hear the title this morning of the sermon, Practical Religion, then you might think that our text would be from the book of maybe James. That would be a good guess. That would be a fine place to go to talk about the subject of practical religion. James talks to us about what is true religion. I'm not using the word religion in, any, uh, in a bad way this morning. I'm using it in a good sense, okay? So let me make that clear. But no, I want us to think about Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Are you there? Did you keep your place in Matthew chapter 7? If you didn't, would you go ahead and turn there? It's the first book of the New Testament. First book of the New Testament, about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. Because three-fourths or more is the Old Testament, which is the Word of God, which is actually pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. And then we land here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We've already read part of this chapter. Practical religion is the title. And I do want to keep this chapter before us uh, somewhat regularly. I think, it's, I think these are words of our Lord Jesus Christ that should not just once and not just three times, but that we as a church... Crossway, we should, and it's my desire, that they would regularly be before our eyes. Jesus says in this last section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7, in Matthew 7, 1, he says this, Judge not, 
that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Follow along closely with me, Matthew 7, 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, Jesus says. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For some people, or highly spiritual believers, do you see? For everyone who asks, receives. Matthew 7, 8. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. So, so verse 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets, and this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. As I say, uh, I am uh, desirous, I am eager that Matthew chapter 7, I've been uh, meditating on it for, for some weeks or months. I'm eager that, to keep this before us. It is, just to make sure that we're kind of situated here in what we're looking at, it is, as you've heard of this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' most famous sermon, His most famous teaching, although we certainly don't want to neglect His other teachings this Sermon on the Mount is found here in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And so we're looking a bit at the tail end. Really, you don't get to the, the, the dawning of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. The conclusion kind of begins in, in verse 13, where we started reading earlier in the service. But at least you are beginning to land the plane in chapter 7. I want us to think about this morning practical religion, not using religion. I know that it can be used in a bad way. Some people may say Jesus came to abolish all religion. I understand what is meant. But let's think about practical religion. Maybe you hear that phrase this morning, uh, practical religion, and maybe your mind goes, maybe you think what I'm going to talk about is, uh, is human decency. 
And there's nothing wrong with a, a human decency or a human interest story. There's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, I was listening uh, to the news podcast of World Magazine the other day, and they just shared this little brief human interest story about how this lady in California purchased a couch off of Craigslist only to bring the couch home and to start going through the cushions. And then to her amazement, she starts calling her son, get in here, get in here. She has found a a large sum of money in the cushion of the couch that she bought on Craigslist. And she said, get in here, get in here. And it's it's $36,000 that she's found in the cushion. And as the story goes, this human interest story, she says, I've got to call them. And, and she calls the, uh, the seller, and they realize that they have sold some furniture from a deceased relative, not even the seller's furniture. They've sold furniture from a deceased relative, and they're very grateful for receiving back uh, the $36,000. Uh, so grateful, in fact, that they give her a gift of $2,200, and she says she's going to buy a refrigerator uh, with the gift And so uh, I say that to say, when you hear uh, practical religion, you may think of uh, human decency, because that word religion doesn't tell us everything we need to know. Practical religion, you may equate that with human decency, but we need to say more than just human decency. If you think about that little story, you might glance down at verse 12, This is actually very unique to Jesus. There are other things like it, but not just like this. When Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12, and again, you might think about that little story. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Uh, By the way, I would say that she did a good thing. She did the right thing. And uh, by the way, uh, you can do a seemingly good thing. You can do a seemingly right thing. Let me just remind you, brothers and sisters, that the Scripture says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You know the Bible says that? I think it's all-encompassing. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so we're also reminded of verses 21 through 23, Look, glance there, just kind of getting just a, just noticing a few things quickly here at the beginning. Just notice verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Did you see that? But that's a contrast, right? But the one who underscore it again, let me underscore it does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. You can, uh, you can give a couch back or you can even give $36,000 back and be a good citizen and that's good because God causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust and there's this thing called common grace to where even unbelievers do good things and, and God doesn't allow the world and he doesn't allow people in the world to be as wicked as we possibly would be unless he constrained us, unless he restrained us. But it says here in verses 21 through 23 that even if you give $36,000 back or listen 
or if you're a preacher or a prophet who actually does miraculous works, you can be charismatic, not only in your personality, but in your theology and in your practice, and you can literally do miraculous things. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, in, listen, in the name of Jesus, and go to hell. Do you see? That's what verses 21 through 23 say. So, so we need to think a little bit more, uh, a little more deeply if we're thinking about practical religion, listen to me, than just uh, human decency. Because also I guarantee you that there's more to the golden rule in verse 12 than you and I might think at first blush. There's more to the golden rule than, oh, that's nice. No, no there's actually more to it than that. No, when we talk about practical religion this morning, number one, number one, practical religion is rooted in the Trinity. Follow me. I'll give you uh, four or five points this morning, and let us see if they do not spring out of the Word of God. That's what we want to do, is to let the Word speak, to give free reign to the Word. And so it's been my labor And you can test and see, does this come from, out of the word? Practical religion is rooted in the Trinity and it is centered on Jesus Christ. When I talk about the title practical religion, I'm talking about something that's centered on Jesus Christ. By the way, the Sermon on the Mount is not at the end of the day a list of behaviors for you to do and not to do. The Sermon on the Mount is followed later in the book of Matthew with eight chapters. Eight chapters in the book of Matthew near the end about the last week of Jesus' life. What does that mean? It means that even here, early in the book of Matthew, listen to me, even here early in the book, we are not to say practical religion. Give me some things I can do. Even as Christians, we're to remember our salvation is bound up with the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, you can read and I could preach the Gospels and you can actually miss Jesus. You can look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is the teaching of Jesus in one of its most pure, undiluted, glorious forms. You can look at the Sermon, the teachings of Jesus And you can actually, in some way, miss Jesus. I want us to get both. I want you to see both. I want you to not miss the teacher, and I want us to give heed to the teacher's teachings. The first thing is obviously the beauty of the teacher. Practical religion is rooted in the Trinity, and it is centered on Jesus Christ. Now, we will not look at this in any type of depth, but let me tell you, in this kind of big picture look at Matthew 7, kind of a big picture look, that I mentioned earlier that the conclusion really begins in verse 13 of Matthew 7. And in Matthew 7, 13 through 23, Jesus talks about how there are two ways to live. My friend, there are only two ways to live. There are only, you are either right now, you are right now 
living one of those two ways. Know that. And so in 13 through 23, he talks in three different ways. Not going to really get too specific. He talks in three different pictures about the two ways to live. And what I simply want to point out is that Jesus the Christ has the audacity. He has the audacity to say, your life and your eternity depends on what you do with me. I mean, if you, that's audacious. Who says that? Like, look at this. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. Everyone then, and all of this is Jesus speaking, right? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you or I or any other man or woman says that, they are quite audacious and prideful and arrogant and crazy. But Jesus has the audacity to say, it's all about me. It's all about what you do with my word. What you do with my word. It's almost as though he would see some extremely close connection between himself and the God of Israel. No, no, no. Practical religion is not merely about human interest or human decency. You know, Matthew 7, Matthew 7 never encourages Christians to be mean. Uh, I heard, uh, I happened to be at a retirement ceremony the other day, and I heard a little message that, uh, you know, just good, good nuggets for life. Like, you know, one of those could be like, don't be a jerk, you know? Like, don't be a jerk, you know? Like, and, and, and Matthew 7 would not contradict that at all. Don't be a jerk. But you know what? One of the, and maybe even especially today, one of the biggest enemies of Christianity is, true Christianity would be niceness. Niceness. Uh, Matthew 7 is not Jesus exhibiting what we think of as niceness. This can be an enemy of true Christianity. No, no, no. He says, again, there's only two ways to live. You are already on one of those roads. Practical religion is rooted in the Trinity. Look at verse 11. We're going to leave point number one here in very short order, but I want you just to see this. Practical religion is rooted in the Trinity. This is Jesus speaking. Verse 11 of Matthew 7, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And I just want to say that Jesus teaches us that true religion means that you've uh, repented of your sins and placed your faith in God through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, and therefore you have God as your Father. This is, in some ways, the center of true religion. Matthew chapter 6 is, let me ask you, is God, do you know God as your Father? Did you see that in verse 11? Matthew seven eleven. How much more, earlier he refers to him as my Father, but he says, how much more will your father, my friend, he's speaking to disciples. Are you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know God as your father? 
By the way, look at verse 11 again. Look at the end. Who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. In Luke's version of this, in Luke's version, he says, the Father who is in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. All of the good gifts of God can be summed up under the one gift, which is the Holy Spirit. Luke says the same thing as Matthew 7, 11, but he says, who will give you the Holy Spirit. There is God the Father. There is God the Holy Spirit. There is God the Son who is speaking uh, this whole sermon, who has told us in 13 through 23, it all depends on what you do with me. How audacious. Practical religion is rooted in the Trinity. Number two. Number two, you will recognize them by their fruits. Point one, we specifically zoomed in on verse 11. Point one, we focused on verse 11. Point number two, look with me at verses 15 through 20. As this morning, we get the lay of the land of this chapter. Point number two, we focus more on verses 15 through 20. Please notice the word of God with me. And let me rephrase the second point. Not only will you recognize them by their fruits, but if we stay with our theme, it would be this. Practical religion calls for us to grow in discernment. Practical religion calls for us to grow in discernment. Crossway. You need to be making judgments. You need to be making judgments rightly, carefully, biblically. Practical religion calls for us to grow in discernment. Verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. I don't do that. I don't judge people. I stay away from that. I, I, other people can be fruit inspectors. That's not me. Are you okay with the church of Jesus Christ imploding? Verse 20. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Well, Jesus, you don't mean this. Uh, No, that's the second time he said it. Verse 20, again, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 16, again, you will recognize them by their fruits. What's the point? What's the second heading that we're dealing with? Practical religion calls for us to grow in discernment. My friends, my my fellow members, Crossway Church, my fellow members, Practical religion, thats I'm saying, what is practical religion? Matthew 7, rooted in the Trinity, centered on Jesus Christ. Rooted in the Trinity, centered on Jesus Christ. It calls for us to grow in discernment. In many ways, I don't say it's the only need of the hour. In many ways, it is the need of the hour. It is the need of, what's he talking about in context? I'm trying to beat this drum, and I'll beat it again. You will recognize them by their fruits. Did you hear that? You will recognize them by their... What's he talking about in context? Look at verse 15. Don't take my word for it. Verse 15, Jesus says, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear bad fruit. Ain't going to happen. Every tree. Look at verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let me say it again, Jesus says. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Listen to me. Lives will reflect identity. Deeds will reveal nature. I don't mean to say it's all neat and tidy. I do not mean to say that it's all neat and tidy. I will say again that today, maybe especially, niceness can be the enemy of true Christianity. Deeds will reveal nature. In the context, he's talking about false prophets. Do we care? Do we care about the health, about the state of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Then this is not optional. And what I'm saying in point number two, listen to me, what I'm saying is actually kind of a macro point. This is talking about false prophets. I'm saying, based on what he repeats two times, that you and I need to pray to God and we need to go to our Bibles much more often than we probably do and say, God, help us as a church to grow in biblical discernment. Now, there is an unhelpful type of discernment. There are uh, Christian leaders today who, who are devoted. I, I feel like some of them, it's like literally their full-time job. And they have these discernment ministries. And some of them can be helpful. And sometimes it's just like their whole lives and they're getting money from others. And I don't say that it's all bad. Some of it can be helpful, but it's like their whole ministry is devoted to exposing fellow believers. That's like their whole lives, like exposing fellow believers. And I want my ministry. I want the ministry of this church to be positive. I I don't want the ministry of this church. I don't want my ministry under God to be negative, to be devoted 24 seven to exposing fellow believers even if they may or may not be real believers. But Jesus would tell us, even if we want a positive ministry, I want a positive ministry for Crossway Church. He would say to us, you want a positive ministry? Well, then don't let the ship burn. Beware of false prophets. Do you see? Practical religion calls for us to grow in discernment. There is an unhelpful type of discernment which is just given to negativity all the time. But there is also a biblical discernment, my friends, that you and I need. We we live in the world. We are not to go out of the world. And we are shaped by the world more than we know. And Jesus says, heaven and hell are at stake. He says, it all depends on me. He says, do you find me beautiful? You can read the Gospels or even the Sermon on the Mount and miss Jesus. We must do both. We must heed the teaching of Jesus, and we must primarily, I would say, see and savor the teacher. We must know, do you know the teacher? You know, there's plenty of Christians who love the Sermon on the Mount because it speaks about human brotherhood and it speaks about goodness and whatever, whether you call them liberal Christians or whatever, 
The Sermon on the Mount is not about human brotherhood. The golden rule is not about what you think it is. It is about Jesus Christ is the rock, and you will be broken if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will find a rock of refuge and safety if you do go to the rock who is Jesus Christ. He alone is the sinner substitute. He and he alone died in your place so that you and everyone who repents, if you repent and believe, you say, how do I know he died in my place? No, no, no. You repent and believe. This calls for discernment, doesn't it? Practical religion calls for us to grow in discernment. That's verses 15 through 20. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And I don't have time. I would just refer you to Galatians chapter 5. I would refer you later to Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. I do not say this is neat and tidy. I do not say we are to be unhelpful fruit inspectors. But I do say shame on us if we stop short of the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would refer you to Galatians 5, I hope I hadn't been saying Ephesians, Galatians 5, Galatians, the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh are evident. There are only two ways to live. There are only two ways to live. Are we by the sheer grace of God bearing the fruit of the Spirit or are the evident works of the flesh manifest in our lives? Practical religion calls for growth and discernment. You will recognize them by their fruits. Number three. Number three. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Point number one, practical religion is rooted in the Trinity. Point number two, it calls for us to grow in discernment. Number three, Jesus hates hypocrisy. And let me flesh that out for just a moment. And let me say this, practical religion calls us to grow in humility and self-examination. My dear brother and sister, practical, do you you want that? You don't have to give me any type of visible affirmation. Do you want that in our church? I, I don't think religion is a terrible word. I, I want practical religion. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Do you want practical religion in, in our church? Then listen to me. Let us grow in humility and self-examination. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Are you a believer here this morning? Do you know 2 Corinthians 13.5? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. No, I got, I got saved back then, or my relative got saved back then. They may not be saved. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Everyone who Jesus saves can have full assurance of faith. You as a Christian should have full assurance. You will never be lost. We do not preach that you can lose your salvation. No, sir. But the Bible also says, test yourself, examine yourself. Oh, my friend, we need to grow in humility. 
We need to grow in humility and self-examination because we can all be self-deceived. This third point, this third heading again is this. Practical religion calls us to grow in humility and self-examination. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Why am I putting this point here? What have we been talking about? The need to grow in discernment, right? That's a false teacher. There's no gospel fruit in that person's life. There's contrary, fleshly fruit in that person's life. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood, we need to see how much this passage says, brothers, and how we need to be so careful not to have a censorious spirit. We need to be so careful in the church not to have an overly critical spirit at all. Judge not, Jesus says. Jesus says in verse 1, Jesus says, the one who laid down his life for sinners, the only Savior, the only way, the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead so that you, if you believe, can be a child of God. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, notice this repetition of brother, how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take this speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? Jesus hated hypocrisy back then with the Pharisees. He still hates it. What does he say? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do you see that in verse 5? Well, there it is. Judge not. I don't, you know, hey. I, 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 actually, I actually don't think it's nice to call somebody a false prophet. Jesus doesn't, doesn't matter to Jesus if you think it's nice to call somebody a false prophet. And in fact, look at verse 6. I mean, you know, the Bible says, judge not. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn it, which I think means, I think means as we share the gospel, if it's very clear, if it's very clear, so we don't want to give up on people, right? We don't give up on people because God is God. But when it's very clear that there is a a, a strong, willful hard-heartedness to the gospel. Well, Jesus says in verse 6, don't give dogs what is holy. So he is not eliminating all judgment. No, my friend, you need to make judgments. Judge with right judgment, John chapter 7, I believe. Judge with right judgment. And understand Matthew verses 1 through 5 of chapter 7. Understand this. Understand this, that at the cross, your sins were judged. At the cross, God judged his only beloved son, not because he was a sinner, but because he stood in the stead of sinners. He stood bearing the sin of the world, even of all of his elect people of all time. He stood in our place. He judged our sin. God the Father judged God the Son. And so what this is saying in so many ways is, who are we? Who am I? Who am I to judge my brother? Who am I to judge my brother in the church? Oh, no, no, no. God help me. God help us 
I got this potential plank in my eye. Maybe especially if I think I'm good at discernment. I'm good at discernment. Maybe I've got this plank that represents the same type of sin that I'm trying to help that person fix. Do you see? Listen to this. Galatians 6. You don't have to turn there. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Specks need to be removed for the good of the body of Christ. Specks do need to be removed. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, Galatians 6.1, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We dare not give up either side of this. We dare not ruthlessly, we dare not give up ruthlessly self-examination and pursuing humility. We also dare not give, give up being our brother's keeper and removing specks only, only in the appropriate way. Well, what holds all of this together? Listen to me this morning. What holds all of this together in Matthew 7? Well, it's, it's all from Jesus. Remember, there's eight chapters devoted at the end of this book to the last week of his life, namely his crucifixion, his death in our place. His, the book of Matthew shouts, you cannot save yourself. Don't try to obey the Sermon on the Mount to get right with God. It's only through Jesus. But what is this all about? We've said it's Matthew 7. It's practical religion. It's been pointed out that Matthew 7 is all about relationships. I'll just quickly throw that little nugget in there. It helped me. Maybe it'll help you. I like to have stuff to hang my hat on. Just give you a little bit more clarity. I hope Matthew 7, I know we bounced around a little bit. Hopefully it's been clear. But what's, it all, what, what's one thread that can go and hang it all together? It's about relationships. I'll listen to what Stott says here for just a moment. Various relationships in Matthew chapter 7. Number one, to our brother in whose eye we may discern a splinter and whom we have a responsibility to help, not judge. We, we are called to help people with their sin, not to judge them, but to help them. What about another relationship to our heavenly father to whom we come in prayer, confident that he will give us nothing but good things? Well, there's plenty of relationships in Matthew chapter 7 to everybody in general. The golden rule should guide our attitude and behavior towards them. I could mention more. Primarily, it's how are you related to the Lord Jesus Christ? How are you related to the Lord Jesus Christ? As a dead tree or as a living tree? Are you related to him as one who says, Lord, Lord, look. And he says, I never knew you. Or are you related to him as one who comes in poverty of spirit? Matthew 5. And who calls God your father and who says, I love you, Lord Jesus. I want to obey your word. Don't ever underestimate the necessity and the power of doctrine. There was a man who went on a trip with his two boys. A man went on a trip with his two boys, and it was one particular day on, a multi, on this multi-day trip, and the two sons said to their father, Dad, we know that we know that you know that it's been a long day and that we've not had much to eat at all this day here on our trip that we're on with you. But we have a request in two parts, and we'd like to ask you if we could have some food. And 
some of those North Carolina Tar Heel t-shirts we saw at the gas station back there. And this particular father on this particular trip was a mean man. He was a nasty man. And he said, here's what I'll do. He said, I'll give you uh, two Wolfpack t-shirts instead, and I'll give you no food. And the silly story is a reminder that everything comes back to the character of God. If I could conclude like this, practical religion is an outgrowth of knowing the character of God. We begin and end with God. We begin and end with God. Practical religion is rooted in the Trinity, and practical religion is an outgrowth of knowing the character of God. Behold your God. Knowing God is everything. The soil, listen, the soil in which practical religion grows is biblical thinking about God. The soil in which practical religion grows is theology. It's just the study of God, not academic, not academic, not the academic study of God, the study of God, the giving ourselves to the Bible, giving ourselves to growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. People thought, people thought that Shrek was a mean and terrible ogre, but he wasn't. Is God an ogre? Is he stingy? It all comes back to the character of God. Verse 11, verse 11, look at it. If you then who are evil, did you know that's just like a little throwaway phrase that Jesus put out? I mean, that's not his main point. That's not his main point, but he put it in there. Do you know that about yourself? If you then who are evil, that's why people will not come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They think they're fine. I don't need a savior. We are, it's right here, right? It's like a throwaway. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I close and I say that in the context, verse 11 is talking about prayer. In the context, it's talking about prayer. But it points us and it drives us to the character of our God. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Read the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Who is Jesus? He's the one that had such authority, that spoke with such authority, that the people marveled, that they said, who is this who speaks with such authority? We know who he is. We know the answer. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah of Israel. He is the Savior of the world. The character of God. God is gracious and generous with his people. He is not up in heaven loving to see us squirm. He does not love to see his people squirm. His character is generous and gracious and holy and loving. So why would we not pray to this God? Let's pray to him now. Lord, you have said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Lord Jesus, this is what you have said to your disciples. And we thank you by grace that we may call ourselves your disciples. We may call and refer to you as our elder brother. We may call God our father. 
we may read here, as Luke tells us, that you will not hesitate to give good gifts, even the Holy Spirit, to those who ask. Give us the Holy Spirit. That's our prayer right now. Give us your good gifts. We beg that your number one gift is that you would give us yourself. Give us the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy on us as a church. Lead us in confession. Would you lead us as a church in confession and repentance that we would walk in light of the cross? Holy day, O Gloria, that you would receive all of the glory through Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. Thank you.